Good morning. Welcome to morning prayers. At this time, I would invite you to stand as you are able for our responsive reading, Psalm 51. You can find it on page 26 in your Psalter. 51 on page 26. Have mercy upon me, O God, after thy great goodness. According to the multitude of thy mercies, do what do away mine offenses. For I acknowledge my faults, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned, and Thou shalt purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Thou shalt make me hear of joy and gladness, that bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Turn thy face from my sins, and put out all my misdeeds. Make me clean of the heart, and renew a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Oh, give me the comfort of thy help again, and establish me with thy free spirit. Amen.
verses 3 and 4 from the second chapter of Isaiah. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And he shall judge, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Today, September 11th, 9-11, is for the most of us an iconic day. As instantly recognizable and laden with meaning as, say, July 4th, or December 7th, or New Year's Eve, or even Christmas. For the linguistically fastidious, of whom Harvard has its share, 9-11 isn't technically an icon at all, however. That's because in its original Greek meaning, icons are not numbers, but images, and specifically Orthodox Christian ones at that, meant to guide us contemplatively toward the divine. And yet, of course, 9-11 is, for all of us, iconic, with the date itself a referent, a, a serviceable, scannable code of some sort is probably the better word in this digital day of ours, a referent to what is truly an unforgettable visual image, that of the World Trade Center's twin towers collapsing that late summer's morning in 2001, carrying down with them nearly 3,000 lives in their fall. But iconographically, 9-11 is more than that because the iconic image of those falling towers contains at least three important ways of imagining the world beyond visually portraying their fall that we need to consider today. First, whether in stills or in video, whether seen from a distance or close up, the towers in those few compressed moments on 9-11 elicit and organize our emotions into a sequence of hierarchic feelings, each proceeding one from the other. There's shock, then horror, then rising fear, and then a rapid-fire replay of more shock and horror and fear. As our mind races through the experience of seeing what is happening, seeing people trying to save their own lives, as well as others, seeing how it all ends so quickly, so awfully, in dust and ruin. Second, those images reawaken us to the fact that our emotions are common to our species, part of the vernacular of being human. Empathy can't catch the full projection of ourselves, however briefly or even maniacally, into the bodies and minds we see dying before us, not only knowing as observers that their deaths are imminent, but knowing in our pores and ner nerve endings, our fleeting thoughts, and our laceratingly raw emotions that something of us is dying as they die, and yet we will live. Third, the Twin Towers images situate and instantiate the moral meaning of the images, placing what we see and feel in a context beyond sensation, a context of value and judgment that lays, self, lays itself claim to and evokes our idea of a common collective human self that of somehow necessary collective action beyond emotions that the images seem to demand of us in response. It's to that third moral meaning dimension that I believe we need to return, however briefly this morning, 
to pause and to contemplate the degree to which we here can now look back over the past 16 years to ask what the legacy, the, image of, uh, the imagery of 9-11 has given us and why. Here in this chapel, I think that beyond lamentation over the tragedy, we need to ask what has become of that moral meaning, that sense of our shared collective self and of our collective action in response to the tower's collapse. America went to war after 9-11, and as you know, is still at war today in Afghanistan, in Syria, and Iraq, and on a smaller scale and sometimes covert ways in Pakistan, and Yemen, and Somalia, and Libya, and the Philippines, and several of the so-called stands of Central Asia. Nearly 1.3 million men and women are in the military, with 800,000 more in the reserves. Almost 500,000 of them are stationed in what the Pentagon generally calls forward positions overseas in more than 80 countries. While beyond that, the United States Special Forces will carry out military operations in exercise, or exercises this year in nearly 140 countries. That's 70%, in other words, of all the countries in the world. Now, much of this predates 9-11 but none of it is ending or even contemplated to end after. We live, in short, in an American garrisoned world without precedent in human history, one far vaster than the British or Spanish or Ottoman empires, far greater in earlier times than the Roman or Egyptian or Babylonian or Mughal or Chinese kingdoms. This year, our government will spend more than $1 trillion to prepare for and carry out war and to finance its collateral costs for salaries and weapons, for transport and medical care, for nuclear weapons research and the detention of prisoners at places like Guantanamo, for servicing the massive debt accumulated over the past 70 years since World War II and servicing the broken bodies and minds of so many as well. After the Cold War ended a quarter century ago, the social theorist Francis Fukuyama spoke triumphantly of the end of history. And more recently, Harvard biologist Steven Pinker has written no less confidently about the seeming permanent decline in human violence. And yet, since 2000, 12 million men, women, and children have died in war. And as we worship here today, wars are ongoing in 16 countries, in eight of which America is fighting. Moreover, since 2000, America has spent more than $15 trillion on war. And since World War II, in contemporary terms, more than $63 trillion. More, in other words, than the entire annual gross domestic product of the planet. More than the combined economic output of all six billion of us alive today. So this morning, as we pause on the 16th anniversary of the iconic 9-11, let's contemplate what sort of icons, religious images, messages, and moral meaning come to mind. In our avowed and shared tradition, we can speak of phrases like, love thy neighbor, soared into plowshares, do unto others, that constitute fragments of what people like us once brought to mind when we contemplated violence, and hatred, and war. But today, in the overwhelming silence that afflicts us as a nation, they seem only fragments, just shards, mere remnants 
of what we once understood and sought for mankind. For some here in Cambridge, it seems enough nowadays to berate this president, complain about these wars, denounce his belligerence as that which we must resist. But rightly considered, I don't think that's enough. The vanities and cruelties, the sins of Donald Trump are his, and though we are surely implicated in them if we keep silent, the far larger collective sins of America's power and hubris, its vanity and its greed are ours collectively and not his alone. Sixteen years ago today, two towers fell in New York suddenly to the ground, taking with them 3,000 lives. It was an act of terror, one we cannot forget. We must thus remember, but beyond remembrance, what must we learn? God, give us the grace and the power to not only pray for peace, but work for peace, and the spine to fight for justice. Amen. Please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand as you are able and join in the singing of this morning's hymn, The Lord's My Shepherd, number 198 in your hymnal. Number 198.
and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with loving kindness and grant you peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.